I mentioned before that Lent is the beginning of the, uh, uh, that Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Lent is this season of solemn reflection um, on, on what it is that Jesus did for us. Uh, but it is most popularly known, if people know about Lent at all these days, they probably think of it as the time you give something up. That it's this season of, of abstinence, that you're abstaining from things that you could otherwise have. So, um, what we, what we, um, know though is Lent is not actually about the giving up. It's not, it's not, um, the purpose of Lent is not to give up. The purpose of Lent, um, is to practice the disciplines that we have been learning about, the discipline in particular of of um, self-negation, of, of giving things up. So it's not about giving things up, it's about practicing a discipline which is giving up. So that may be a little confusing, but um, what we learned back in the, in the winter is that uh, Christians are called to be disciples. We're not simply people who show up in a church and, and uh, uh, go through some particular rituals, we actually are called to be students of Jesus. Jesus called disciples in, in the gospel accounts, and Jesus calls us today to be disciples. Um, and disciples means students. It means people who are studying a particular discipline. So uh, what are disciplines? Well, they are, they are the practices that we've been talking about, the things that make our lives better, but um, not necessarily easier. So... Um, that's where the the connotation that we have of disciplines being being punishment or or um, painful is that is that they are hard. But what we'll see in our scriptures tonight is they are not um, only hard; they are actually uh, things that lead to a better life. So there are two different takes we're going to look at tonight. One of them is from Isaiah, and in Isaiah he talks about how um, the the people of God have been doing have been doing their their spiritual disciplines um, not with their real hearts. They, they've been doing it as a show. They've been doing these spiritual disciplines kind of at the least possible level in order to in order to get the the credit with God. And God says, "Well, you don't get any credit with me if your if your heart isn't in it." So, so Isaiah says, "You've been doing this to please yourself." Um, they they say they say we have fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. And um, God answers through the prophet. He says, "He says, um, I will tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Now, um, fasting to please yourselves doesn't sound like a thing people normally do, but but some people some people do. Some people, I I, I am one of them. I have found myself in previous years saying to myself, you know, I need to kind of really jumpstart my diet, so this is a chance to give up something, and if I don't have desserts during Lent or something, I'll, I'll lose some weight, which is, which is maybe a practical thing to do for dieting, but it's not what the purpose of the spiritual discipline is. Um, I've learned recently, because I am interested in dieting, I've learned recently that, that fasting is actually good for your health. It actually increases your longevity. Um, that that when you go without food for long periods of time, and that could be many hours or it could be many days, um, when you do that, you actually trigger mechanisms in your body that kind of do spring cleaning and you know clear out all the junk, and it kind of rejuvenates the cells in your body. 
Um, at least it does if you're a rat. So there's reason to believe it happens. <laughs> there's reason to believe it happens with people. So um, so uh, you can you can try that on if you want. But what Isaiah is saying is that those aren't the reasons you should engage in spiritual disciplines. That that if you're if you're kind of working an angle, you're saying that there's a there's a benefit that I'm going to get from this. That's not that's not the way to look at them. So he says. Um, he says, this is not the kind of fast I want. Um, you're humbling yourself, going through the motions, but you're not sincere. Um, you dress in burlap, but God concludes, is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. He lists the different ways people could make a difference in people's lives. They could free those who are imprisoned, lighten the burden, and so forth. Isaiah says, your fasting should cost you something. If you If your mentality is... Uh, a cost-benefit analysis, and you're thinking, as long as the cost is less than the benefit, then that's the wrong way to look at it. So he says, he says, um, you should not be thinking about this as cost, um, uh, uh, w- whether the cost outweighs the benefit. But he says, you should, you should practice it for its own sake, because um, it is in doing this when you when you um, expend a cost. When you do something that costs you, that's the place where God blesses you. And so God says, um, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out and darkness around you will be as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you even, um, if you were thinking that this would help your your uh, reputation, if people would look at you and say, there's a very holy person, they're fasting all the time, God says it may actually help you with your reputation, but not in the way you're thinking. He says you will be, um, you will, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of home, homes. Uh, Isaiah says there is a benefit, but it's not a benefit that you can you can calculate. It's a benefit that God gives you when you lean into the disciplines that He's provided. So Isaiah says that we should um, we should go about these disciplines. We should do things that cost us. Because that is the place where God blesses us, and Paul says um, something that is uh, that is um, uh, similar to that, but Paul gives a different spin on it. So let's look at what Paul has to say. Paul says that um, that he is certainly uh, it's certainly costing him. His ministry is costing him. Um, so he says, "We patiently endure troubles and hardships. We've been beaten. We've been put in prison. Faced angry mobs. Worked to exhaustion." Um, uh, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. So again, there's that idea of uh, deprivation. But Paul says, I have done that uh, voluntarily. I've accepted that as a discipline from the Lord. I've, I've done these things not because the Lord made me, but because, because, um, uh, because this is, uh, this is a choice I've made on my own. So he says, um, <clears throat> he says that I accept this. And so why does he accept it? Well, there's two reasons that he accepts this discipline. The first one is that people are watching. He says, he says, people are watching me. And, and, uh, he doesn't mean in the way that Isaiah was talking about, where you're trying to get credit with people by, by, oh, look how holy they are. Paul says something else. Paul says that, um, that we, um, have stopped evaluating other people from a human point of view. He doesn't really care much about a human point of view. He says what, what matters is what, how God sees you. And so he says, um, he concludes that paragraph by saying, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And then he says, this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And he says, Christ has given us this task of reconciling people to him. And he says, 
He has, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So he repeats himself and then he says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Now today, I don't know what you think of when you think of an ambassador, but Paul was probably thinking of something very specific. In the Roman world, an embassy, uh, uh, the, the, the work of an ambassador was, was very well understood. And the way it worked was like this. You're, you're a city that's occupied by Rome. You're, you're maybe a province that's occupied by Rome. And you, you get wind that, you know, the, the ship comes in and there's news that says there's trouble back in Rome or Rome is distracted in Germany or Spain. Rome's got its own problems. And so you say, now's a good time to cast off Rome's, um, uh, authority over us. We're going to go into rebellion against Rome. So you do that and maybe you succeed. But what you might do instead is provoke a response from Rome. So Rome, you know, locates the, the emperor locates a general nearby and sends him a letter in a ship that says, go pacify that place that's in rebellion. And so they would do that. They would go through the province. They would surround the different cities one after another. And then, um, they would wait you out because your, your walls contain, you know, keep, keep, they protect you from the Roman army. But on the other hand, they also keep you from going out and getting food and water. So eventually you're going to run out of those things. And so it's a gamble. Can we survive the siege? But what they would do periodically, rather than spend three years in front of your, in front of your city, they would, they would periodically send an embassy up to the gate and you knock on the door, you know, hi, I'm, I'm an ambassador and I have terms for you. The, the message that, that the general here wants you to know is if you surrender, then we'll spare 50% of you. Okay, or um, <laughs> we'll only enslave the men, um, or you know, only ten percent of you are going into the arena. Okay, so they would they basically say we're going to be lenient. You know, we have to teach you a lesson because you have rebelled, but we'll be lenient with you or whatever. And they would they would basically try to to sweeten the pot to end the the siege earlier. So that's that's what an embassy was, and um, embassies weren't always. Um, uh, ambassadors weren't always treated nicely. Today you get diplomatic immunity. Back in those days, you didn't. Um, depending on how you phrase that and whether they were unhappy with your embassy, then they would beat you up or something like that. Um, in Second Samuel 10, it describes a time when, when um, David sent an embassy to some nearby king and they cut off their beards and cut their robes off at waist level, which would be a great indignity in that era. So, um, so he, they, they sent them packing, basically, um, uh, humiliated for their effort at trying to, um, to be this embassy. And Paul is saying, that's me, right? I am enduring this because I want you to hear the, the offer that God is making. And what offer is that? What is the, what is the message that Paul the ambassador is giving? He says, he says this, um, he says, no longer counting people's sins against them. He says, this is a great offer. You never hear an ambassador come up to your city gate and say, we'll just call it even. You know, that, that we'll just pretend this whole ugly business never happened. But he says, that's what God did. God gave him, and he says, because of that, because it is such a great message, because it is a message of such surpassing greatness, I will actually risk the danger that comes in being an ambassador. And so he says, yes, I know ambassadors are sometimes punished for their troubles, but this is such a great message, I can't resist doing it. So the first thing he says is people are watching, that, that I go through these things because people are watching and they want to, they want to hear this message and know if it's authentic. And so by doing this, by saying, I will put up with what it takes to provide this message, um, I'll be an ambassador. But then he says something else. 
he began by saying how um, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And what he means by that is that the the place where you discover that you are a new creation, the place where you learn that you're a new creation, is when you lean into God's promises. When you say um, the the worldly way of getting ahead, the worldly way of making your life better is like this, but the godly way is something else. And to lean into that is where you find God's blessing. So he talks about how... Um, how he, he's uh, been beaten and put in prison and so forth. He says, I'm leaning into the promises that God has made because I believe I am a new creation. And he says, in doing that, in doing that, I find that I am. He says, we're ignored even though we're well known. So um, he says, we live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. He says, we're poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Paul says that this paradoxical uh, fact of being a new creation in in Christ enables him not only to 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 take on this this ministry this this ministry of being an ambassador, but to actually thrive in it. That that he finds joy when when his when um, when his heart aches when when he's been uh, beaten. He can rejoice. Um, he can he can be poor and still give away spiritual riches. And he says, ultimately, we own nothing and yet we have everything. So Paul says, we are a new creation. I was trying to think of a a good way to um, to describe this, and the the best analogy I've ever come up with is the idea that um, is that Paul says we're new creations. Uh, how, how do you know if you're a new creation? And, and so the, the example that I think of, um, is if you're a swimmer and you're a, a medium bad swimmer, I'm not a very good swimmer. I, I swim better underwater than above water. But suppose I became a new creation. Suppose I became an Olympic swimmer. Tonight, while I'm asleep, somebody will transplant my brain into Michael Phelps's body, right? But I'm, you know, looking out the eyes and it looks like, you know, I'm still me. How would I know? How would I know that I've become a different creation? Well, the only way to find out is by getting in the pool, right, and doing a few laps. And then it's like, oh, wow, you know, how did I become this kind of person? Paul is saying that's what it's like to be a new creation. He's saying when you lean into what God has has made you, that's where you discover what God has done in you, that God has made you a different creation, someone who has nothing, um, who owns nothing but has everything. Someone who um, is poor but can but can give spiritual riches to others. So Paul says, "It is the hardships of life where we find our blessing." And Lent is a time for us to reflect on how we go about the disciplines. If we even do go about the disciplines, do we see ourselves as new creations who can lean into the disciplines and actually thrive there? Because Paul says also. He says, he says, I, I beg you, we, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. So something we can do during Lent is we can say to ourselves, have we accepted the gift and then put it on a shelf in a closet? We're not leaning into it. We're not leveraging what God has made us. We're, we're never getting into the pool and swimming a lap to discover what God has made of us. 
So Lent is a time for us to think about whether or not we're accepting the, the gift and ignoring it, and then to ask ourselves, how can we be ambassadors? How, by doing that, will we be able to be ambassadors for the people around us, to tell them the good message, the, the good news that God is no longer counting his our sins against us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the message of the gospel is so familiar that we forget just how unlikely it is that you would um, view a world in rebellion and not count its sins against it. Um, That more than that, you would promise blessing as people trust that promise. Um, Lord, we, we pray that you would keep us mindful during Lent of of what it is that Jesus has done for us, um, at what cost, but give us the courage to begin to lean harder into the promises uh, that we have, the promise that we are, in fact, new creations, and help us to be good ambassadors uh, of your grace. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen.